Turn with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. One of the things that I've noticed over the years as I've done weddings is there's a consistent thing. The bride always wants to look great for her wedding. Matter of fact, most of the time the service starts late because the bride is still getting ready. And uh, one time I thought the uh, trend had stopped and the, and the groom came up and he said, sorry, I'm late. And he said, I was helping the bride. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, brides want to be prepared for their wedding day, don't they? They go to expense, they go to effort to be prepared. We need to be prepared for the presence of Jesus. And uh, now Jesus is going to come one day, but the Bible says that Jesus lives in us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that we can live and walk with him in fellowship. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That comes through the fellowship that we have with God. And so there's some things that we can do to prepare to better enjoy that fellowship that we have with God. And if you don't yet know Jesus Christ, the greatest preparation is repentance of your sin and putting your trust in Jesus Christ uh, because Jesus, who died for your sin and rose again, will forgive your sin and give you the gift of eternal life. And you'll begin to have a relationship with God. Mark is writing, and literally the, the first words of this gospel are in the beginning of the gospel. Uh, so he's talking about the beginning part of the gospel. As he talks about John the Baptist. Now if you notice, every one of the Gospels includes the story of John the Baptist. Why is this so? There are other things not included in all the Gospels. Gospel writers chose to, to share the things they thought were pertinent to what God was leading them to share. Uh, but John the Baptist is in every Gospel. Why is that? I don't believe you can have the Gospel without repentance. God knew that in order to prepare the Israelites for Jesus, they needed to have a surrendered heart. They needed to repent of their sin. And so they sent John to prepare the way. Now, he quotes a scripture from Isaiah. And if you read the book of Isaiah and you read chapters 1 through 39, the primary focus is the sin and the need for repentance in chapter 1 through 39. But then he gets to chapter 40, he says, comfort, comfort my people. And then he says, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. So the comfort of God for Israel, and by the way, your comfort and my comfort, are prepared by repentance. And so John's message was a baptism of repentance. Uh, this wasn't the ultimate baptism. Jesus would later baptized with the Holy Spirit. He would, every person to put their trust in Jesus, he would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would live within their hearts from that point forward and they would have the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit on an ongoing basis in their lives. Uh, baptism uh, in the name of Jesus Christ is what Jesus commanded when he left this world uh, in the Great Commission. He said, Go into all nations and 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, baptism that John is showing us is a baptism of repentance, but even his baptism is a baptism that looks forward to what Jesus is going to do. Because what do they do? Just like we saw today with Chris, they put him under the water. That's what baptize means, by the way. It means to dip under the water, coming back up. And it was a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you something. Forgiveness doesn't come any other way than through the blood of Jesus. Eternal life didn't come any other way but through the blood of Jesus. And so John, in this medium, this baptism, is showing how this repentance is going to do them good. And it's through the future work that Jesus is going to do. But he's ultimately pointing to the work of Christ. Um, We need to prepare for God's presence in our lives. First of all, through salvation. Secondly, uh, through our time with God. Uh, So the title of my message is Preparing for His Presence. Look at verse 1 with me of Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare the way. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Preparing for his presence. How do we prepare? Well, the first thing is we need to recognize our need. We need to recognize our need. You see... For hundreds of years, there had been silence. There had been no prophetic word in Israel. From the time of Malachi up into the time of the time of Jesus Christ, there had been no word from God. Can you imagine having a famine of hearing the word of the Lord, just as Amos prophesied? A famine of hearing from God. 400 years, 500 years. They needed to hear from God. I'm going to tell you something. You need to hear from God. I need to hear from God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you may not recognize your need. I remember um, when I was getting kind of accustomed to uh, being there in uh, Abilene, Texas, where I served in the military. I mentioned to one of my friends, I said, you know, I kind of am enjoying being single. I don't think I'm going to get married for another seven, eight years. I'm just going to enjoy being single. Two weeks later, I met Sherry. And how quickly my opinion changed. And, uh, and so I decided that I would go ahead. And then I was like, okay, let's get married. And uh, 
She said, well, when? I said, well, how about two months from now? She said, that's not enough time. <laughs> and so the whole perspective changed. Why? Because I recognized there was something that she brought to my life that, that was just uh, a blessing from God. And I wanted to enjoy that blessing. And so in the same way, people may think, you know, I don't really need God. But let me tell you something. You can't live life the way you need to live life until you meet Jesus. You begin a relationship with him. And so um, we need to recognize our need. Now, once you're a child of God, once you have a relationship with God, you still have a need for God to speak to your heart. You still have a need uh, to have fellowship with him. And so uh, you need to recognize that need. You know, a lot of times we go through the Christian life and we're just not really pursuing after God. We, we get comfortable in our Christian life and things, you know, nothing really is going wrong maybe. And we're going through our life uh, and things are going smoothly. And so we get lax and we begin to, to not have that time with God and, and not seek the face of the Lord. Or maybe we begin to get lax in, in our church attendance. We begin to fall away uh, from the things of God. Listen, I want to tell you something. Never forget your need for God. You need him in the bad times, but you also need him in the good times. Um, Jesus told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of the significance for the kingdom will ever be done without him. Uh, you also need him in your hearts. Listen, a lot of times people look to all different kinds of things to provide satisfaction in their hearts, but satisfaction doesn't come but from one place, and that's Jesus. People look to work to satisfy. Well, if I can just get that promotion. Well, if I can just accomplish these goals in my work, I'll be satisfied. If I can just make enough money, I'll be satisfied. If I can just find the right person to be married to, I'll be satisfied. Listen, I want to tell you something. No spouse can satisfy you like Jesus can in your, in your deepest place. So... We need to recognize our need. David said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, Lord, in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. David recognized, Lord, if I'm going to have the need of my soul quenched, the thirst of my soul quenched, it will be found in one place, one place alone, and that is in my relationship with you. Abraham was called the friend of God, and he had grown in his possessions. Lot had grown in his possessions. The two of them could no longer live on the same land. So Abraham said, look, you're my brother. Uh, let's, not, uh, let's not have discord between the two of us. You pick where you want to go. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Uh, you choose where you want to go. So Lot lifted his eyes, the Bible says. And he saw the plain of Sodom. It was well watered. It was beautiful. I mean, it was, it was the place to be. So he thought. And he chose to go there. And Lot departs. And Abraham sitting there. Now, the Bible doesn't say this. I'm using a little bit of imagination here. But because of what God says to Abraham, I think Abraham's thinking, you know what? I'm not getting the better end of this deal. Lot's going over here to this well-watered plain, and here I am where I'm at. Do you know what God said to him? Abraham, I 
and your exceeding great reward. Sometimes we think, oh, well, if I can just accomplish this in the future, if I could just be in this situation, I'll be satisfied. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. What you need to look for is not a where or a goal being achieved. Nothing wrong with goals. But, but these things aren't what satisfies the heart. God is what satisfies the heart. So recognize your need for him. Uh, he says, all Jerusalem, all Judea uh, went out. A uh, little bit of a hyperbole here, but basically he's saying, look, people were coming from everywhere to hear John the Baptist in the wilderness. Now, it's interesting that John begins his ministry in the wilderness because God tells the Israelites, it's going to be in the wilderness that I bring your comfort. I'm going to draw you back to myself in the wilderness. You see, they'd gone in the promised land. They'd gotten comfortable. They'd forgotten to seek the Lord. So he calls them back to himself in the wilderness. Sometimes you have a wilderness experience in your life because God's calling you back to himself. He's saying, look, it it used to be sweeter than it is between you and I. Remember. Remember. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Recognize your need. Secondly, turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. Preparing for the presence of God. How do you prepare? Recognize your need. Turn from your sin. Verse 4 says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Uh, literally in Greek, the, the word is metanoia. It's, it's to change your mind, for your mind to go across to another position. The word in Hebrew is to turn. So I'm going this direction. I make a choice to turn, to follow Jesus. I've died to my old way of life. I'm being raised to walk in newness of life. It's a choice that I make to follow Jesus rather than my own goals, rather than my sin. I'm choosing to follow him. That's repentance. Um, It's a surrender of my life to God's purpose. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. The cross was an instrument of death. To to be crucified daily means to to die to my own way, to my own preference to follow Jesus. Listen, after, after a while, you begin to learn as you die to yourself. You begin to find what life truly all is, is all about. Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. I remember when I finally bowed the knee to Christ, it was over the issue of repentance. I, I, I had been for a year struggling. I didn't want to surrender. I knew what Christ wanted me to do. I just wasn't willing to do it. 
And so finally, I, I came to the place and asked God, Lord, would you help me do this? Because I'm struggling with this. And I, and I came down to the altar under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I, I began to surrender my heart. And as I surrendered, the weight of my guilt lifted. And God's presence was there. There's something powerful about repentance. Repentance is part of that decision of faith I make. I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to live for Jesus. It's a decision of faith. I put my trust in Jesus. He knows better than I do how to govern my life, how to lead me. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to follow him. Uh, repentance is also a decision that we make as believers. Once you have made that initial decision of repentance, each day you make decisions of repentance. Um, take up your cross daily. That's what that's about. So turn from your sin. One of the interesting things about this is found in the Old Testament prophets. They call to Israelites again and again and again, turn from your sin, turn from your sin, turn from your sin. And the Israelites keep blowing it, keep blowing it, keep blowing it, keep blowing it. Have you ever felt that way? Boy, when am I going to get my act together? You come confess the same sin to God. But here's the thing. John was preparing for Jesus, and with Jesus came a new power. Jeremiah predicted it this way. He said, I gave you my law. He's speaking for God. He says, I gave you my law. You didn't follow it, but I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to write my law in your heart, and I'm going to enable you. And you're not going to have to say, know the Lord, because all of you are going to know me from the least to the greatest of you. Now, that's, some of that prophecy is going to happen in the future when Israel is saved at, at the second coming. But this idea of being, having God's law written upon our hearts comes through Christ. He gives us a new set of desires. But not only a new set of desires, he sends the Holy Spirit to help us. So you're turning from your sin, but you're turning from your sin not in your own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. I like what uh, the man said to Jesus who was needing to be healed. He said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Aren't you glad you have a helper? The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's the one who comforts us. And he's the one who helps us repent. So turn from your sin. Recognize your need. Preparing for his presence. Turn from your sin. By the way. Can I tell you something? Until you turn from your sin, you'll not enjoy the presence of God. He'll be there. If you're a child of God, he'll be there. But you'll not enjoy his presence until you repent. You see, that's, that's the problem why, why most of us miss out on the abundant life. Because we're just unwilling to surrender to the Lord. You say, God wants me to give. But I don't want to give. What you do is you cut, cut yourself off from the fellowship of God. Uh, God wants me to serve. I'm not willing to serve. Don't ask me to do that. You're cutting off the fellowship. Well, Lord, I'm following you in all these other areas. What about this, this one little area? 
I'm not going to give up this one little area. You're cutting off the fellowship. You see how important this is? Turn from your sin. Recognize your need. Turn from your sin. Thirdly, confess your sin. Now, turn from your sin is especially important for for lost people. It's important for saved people, too. But confess your sin... It's interesting. He, look at verse 5. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Kind of interesting. They're confessing their sins. Now, it is true that a lost person needs to understand they're a sinner. Because in order to understand that you need forgiveness, you need to understand you got sin, Right? So you, there's a confession of sins. Uh, Finney, one of the early American evangelists, used to have people write out their sins as a way of confessing their sin to God. And the purpose was to lead people to repent of their sin. And so that, that, that can be used as a way to help somebody re- recognize their need for salvation and is generally the way that John the Baptist preached. If you read some of his preaching, in, like in the Gospel of John, uh, he's confronting sin. Remember when he tells the Pharisees they're a brood of vipers? He says, bring forth fruit of repentance. He says, you give a lot of lip service. I don't see any lifestyle. Repent. And so John the Baptist was confirming sin. But as Christians, we're given this amazing promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the forgiveness he's talking about there is not the same as being forgiven for your sins for all time. That happens at salvation. All of my sins, past, present, and future, were put on Jesus. He paid the price for them. This forgiveness is the kind of forgiveness that you have when you get in a fight with your spouse, right? It's not that you're no longer married, but if you're to have fellowship, Something's got to happen, right? Somebody's got to confess or (laughs) try to apologize or something. uh, So the fellowship can be restored. That's what confession does for a child of God. It, It takes away the tension and the barrier there. And God promises if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There'll never be a time you confess your sins that God doesn't forgive you as a child of God. Not once. Let that sink in for a second. It's a promise of God. But he also says this, and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Not only does God restore your fellowship, but he begins the work of cleansing. So what you need to do Let's face it, God's omniscient. He knows it anyway. Tell God about your sin. That's what confession is. Lord, I sinned when I fill in the blank. God knows it anyway. So so confess it to him. Confess specifically. David did this. He said, you, you know, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he'd sent her husband to the front line so that he'd be killed. To cover up his sin, then he took her to be his wife. And he says, to, he says to the Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
and he's, he's confessing not only the, the sin of adultery that he had committed, not only the sin of murder that he had committed, but he said, Lord, my heart is not right. God, there's something wrong inside. It's not just the outward things that are wrong. I've got some problems inside. There's something messed up in my heart. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. You need to be as specific and as thorough in your confession as you can be. If you've said the wrong thing, confess it to God. Sins of gossip, sins of griping, um, profanity, dirty jokes, confess it to God. Uh, Sins of attitude. You ever had just a bad attitude? You go around, you're, you know, kind of got a snarl on your face, and you're, you know, don't, don't talk to me. That attitude's not pleasing to the Lord. Confess it to Him. Uh, whatever it is that you've done, whatever it is that you perceive, or you may not even understand, Lord, I think there's something wrong, but I'm not sure what it is. Lord, will you... Be Jehovah Rapha to my heart. Will you heal what's broken inside? God delights to answer those prayers. I love uh, what the psalm says. It says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed means happy. You want the joy of the Lord in your life? Keep your sin confessed to God. And keep turning from your sin. By the way, confession helps you turn from your sin. Sometimes I hear people say, well, confession includes repentance. I don't think that's true. I think confession leads to repentance. Confession is the first step toward repentance. You can sometimes confess a sin, but your heart still not, may not be in the right place. And so sometimes I have to follow up my confession with God I confess this is sin to you. Change my heart. Change my want to. Help me to have the right heart toward you. And so, uh, it confession kind of paves the way for God to do his cleansing work and to help you with the step of repentance. Confession's the first step. And so, confess your sin. Now, I tell people I need to confess sin daily. Um... Some people say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't sin that much. You, you just don't understand sin. Once you have a biblical view of sin, somebody once said, the closer to the light you get, the more dirt you see. Uh, once you understand a biblical view of sin, and you understand that even our hard attitudes, uh, this blew me away when I was in high school. I thought, good night, I'm in serious trouble. I was reading the prophets, and... God says to them through the prophet, he says, uh, you sit in worship service and you're not thinking about me. He said, I hate your worship. I despise your worship. You're thinking about the business deal you're going to make afterwards. You're thinking about what you're going to do when you get home. You ever, been, you ever sat, I'm not asking for confession time, but you ever sat in one of my sermons and be thinking, boy, I smell that roast before I left the house. I'm ready for some of that. Or in Texas, it was, it was the Dallas Cowboys, you know. It, you you uh, you get done with preaching on at twelve, and it was like whoosh. 
some papers are float, floating in the air. You know, everybody's gone because they've got to go see the cowboys. They're thinking about what's yet to come, right? And I thought to myself, good night. I do that all the time. My heart is not focused upon the Lord. It's, uh, uh, what about this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Uh, that convicts me. There's so many times I fail in that. Confess it to the Lord. Uh, the great thing is God is on your team. You're a child of God. God is on your team. He's not against you. He's for you. I love what Romans 5 says. Uh, Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Guess what? Jesus is not done with you yet. He saved you, past tense. He is saving you, present tense. He will save you, future tense. He doesn't, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He is with us from beginning to end. So take your sin problem to him. It's not going to shock him. It's not going to, boy, I thought you were better than that, Roger. He knows. Preparing for his presence. How do you do it? Recognize your need, turn from your sin, confess your sin, receive your gift. I love this. John, in his baptism of repentance, sets their eyes forward to the one who will actually bring the greatest baptism. Look at verse 8. I baptize you with water, but he, who's he talking about? Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, Preparing for God's presence, taking care of your sin is the, is the part that I don't like. It's uncomfortable. Uh, but receiving the Spirit to help you in your time with God is the part I enjoy. Because um, you say, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that God has placed His Spirit within you. That happened at Pentecost where Jesus poured out the Spirit. Now, I believe every Christian who puts their every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit living within them. Because that's what the Bible says. In Romans 8, it says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're none of His. Um, so you have the Holy Spirit, but then you have the opportunity to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide and empower in your life. Uh, Adrian Rogers puts it this way. He says, the Holy Spirit's resident, but is he president? So as you surrender, we talked about that, as you surrender to him and let him be president, the Holy Spirit has a freedom to move in your life. But I also like to ask the Holy Spirit to help me. I've found that I pray a whole lot better if he's doing it through me. I worship a whole lot better. Have you, have you ever been trying to worship God, maybe sing uh, to him, and, and your mind's just, you've been distracted, and you're just not into it, and you're struggling with it? I would go to God, and I'd say, Lord, would you please worship through me? And it was so different 
after I asked that question. <laughs> Holy Spirit, worship through me. Holy Spirit, pray through me. Holy Spirit, speak to me through the word of God. If you want to prepare for his presence, there's no better way to do it than by asking the Holy Spirit to get involved. Because he's our helper. By the way, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't pray without him. You can't worship without him. You can't witness without him. You can't live a righteous life without him. But when you receive the gift, you have it. But when you take advantage of it, right? Somebody was talking about having a gift that they hadn't opened. Uh, what, a, what a tragedy to have the Holy Spirit, all this supernatural power living within you and never take advantage of it. I remember we had this, this old car called the Brown Bomb. That's what we named the car. It was the, the sorriest car we ever owned. It burned oil through the dashboard. I mean, it, it, was, it was terrible. You, you'd you'd hit, try to hit the gas and it would say, I think I can, and decide whether or not it wanted to go. Um, I remember the glorious day we got rid of that car and my dad traded it in for a new one. It was new to us. And this car had a four-barrel carburetor. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to, to a whole lot of people, but uh, to most of the guys in this room, you know, the testosterone level just went up a little bit. Something would happen when he would hit that gas. That four-barrel carburetor would open up, and, buddy, that thing would shoot off. And, if it, and what a difference. There's some power, right? Listen. Trying to live the Christian life in your own strength is like driving the brown bomb. You can't do it. Receive the gift that God has given you. I love what Paul says. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Paul says I don't do it in my strength. I do it in his strength. And as you allow the Holy Spirit. To work through your life. You'll be amazed at what happens. D.L. Moody. Is a great evangelist. And um, he was being used greatly by God. People were coming to Christ. But he was very he was unschooled. He, was, he couldn't speak well. He used bad English. And Harvard University had invited him to come speak to their student body. And a group of the students had decided that they were going to make fun of him. They'd heard he, could, he couldn't use good English and that kind of thing. So they were going to gather together and make fun of him and, and uh, you know, kind of make a spectacle of him during the meeting. But something happened when D.L. Moody began to preach. They were so gripped with conviction by the Spirit of God that every one of them were saved. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something. God doesn't need much. <laughs> he can use me. He can use you. I want to tell you, he, he doesn't need much. You remember Jonah? 
you at least want a prophet that sort of cares, right? God sent a prophet to Nineveh that hated him. The shortest message probably ever preached. 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. He probably said it with a bad attitude and a scowl on his face. <laughs> he said, now let's go sit on the cliff and watch the fire fall. God used him. A simple willingness to, be, to go and to obey God resulted in a great work of God. God doesn't. Listen, he can use us with our, with our fallible natures. He can use us with our mistakes. Um, God specializes in using broken people. Uh, God will use you, but you need to receive his gift. And what happens is when you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, I remember one time I was, in a, I was witnessing and I'd been praying that God would help me share Christ with this individual. And uh, God just brought this story to mind. I really wasn't sure what it had to do with anything. But I felt like I was supposed to share this story. And the, and the man I was speaking to, he was kind of hard and kind of hard-headed and hard-nosed and but I shared that story, and I saw a tear begin to well up in his eye. I don't, to this day, I don't know how in the world the story touched him. And to, me, to me, it didn't even make sense why I was sharing it. But somehow, God used that story to touch his heart. I didn't know what I was doing, but God knew what he was doing. It's amazing what simple obedience to Christ will accomplish in your life. If you're just willing to say yes to Jesus, preparing for his presence, you want to have a deeper walk with God, you want to enjoy the abundant life, preparing for his presence involves several things. Recognize your need, turn from your sin, confess your sin, and receive your gift. And as he lives in you, you'll be able to go into his presence with strength and power. You remember um, John in the book of Revelation? He sees the, the uh, glorified Christ in this vision. And he's so terrified he falls down on the, on the, the ground. He can't even speak. He's so, he's so overwhelmed by the power of Christ. He's so completely without strength. He said, then a hand touched me and I was strengthened. And I was able to stand up and I was able to worship and hear from Jesus. Listen, you may sometimes feel like you're on the flat of your face, but can I tell you something? When you say, Holy Spirit, here I am. In my weakness, in my ignorance, but I want to come into your presence. I want to draw near to Jesus. I want to draw near to the Father. He'll touch you with his hand and he'll lift you up and strengthen you so that you can enter into his presence let's pray Father thank you for your word thank you for the fact Lord that you've not left us without instruction on how to draw near to you but you've given us a guideline to prepare for your presence God help us to recognize our need for Jesus our need for you.
Help us repent of our sin. Give us the strength and the ability to do it. Help us keep our sins confessed to you. And help us on a regular basis ask for your Holy Spirit to live through us. Lord, we may not even...